0: From the WJFF Studios in Liberty, New York, this is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. On today's show, for over 30 years, Wayne County Habitat for Humanity has been bringing together volunteers and deserving families to build them a decent home. We'll speak to Wayne County Habitat for Humanity President Mike Robinson. Waste for Life. It's an organization aiming to reduce the damaging environmental impact of non-recycled plastic waste products. We'll learn more about their mission from one of the local co-founders, Eric Feinblatt, and co-founder Carolyn Bailey. Women in Business, our series continues with Danielle Lascola of the Calicoon Pantry, who discovered her passion for sustainability at the age of three. And the Party Farm Recording Studio in Roscoe has announced its second annual songwriting contest. We'll learn more, but first the news
1: from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. Stocks opened higher this morning as the Commerce Department reported stronger than expected economic growth for the final months of last year. NPR's Scott Horsley reports the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose about 160 points in early trading.
2: The U.S. economy grew at an annual pace of 3.3% in October, November, and December, led by strong consumer spending on both goods and services.
3: Growth was also fueled by business investment, government spending, new home construction,
2: and exports. Although fourth quarter growth was somewhat slower than the previous quarter, it was substantially faster than most analysts had predicted. The economy continues to outperform
3: expectations even in the face of higher interest rates. Core measures of inflation show price increases continuing to ease. GDP was 3.1 percent larger at the end of last year than it was 12 months earlier. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington.
1: The Federal Aviation Administration says that scores of grounded Boeing 737 MAX 9 jets can now fly again. The FAA ordered the Boeing models pulled from service after a door plug blew off one Alaska Airlines jet during flight earlier this month. But NPR's Joel Rose says the FAA will limit some of Boeing's airplane production.
2: The agency is imposing pretty sweeping production caps on the company's factories, not just the MAX 9, but other 737 lines as well. That's a rare step by the government, uh, and the FAA regulators say they, they want to be satisfied that, quote, quality control issues uncovered during this process, unquote, get fixed before those caps are lifted.
1: NPR's Joel Rose reporting. Around 2 million people, or nearly everyone in Gaza, have been displaced from their homes. Many Palestinians are living on top of patches of sand in makeshift tents. NPR's Ayab Batrawi has this report from a Palestinian woman whose life has been upended by the war between Israel and Hamas.
4: Tahrir Taysir madani was a professional in skin rejuvenation and laser treatments. But like so many others in Gaza, she's now struggling to survive in a tent. She misses eating out at restaurants, having access to a shower, and her morning coffee. But what she wants most is her warm bed again in her parents' multi-story home. She says she meets women in Gaza that ask her to tweeze for them, as they too try to hold on to their identities and humanity in this war. A recent report by UN Women details how women and children in Gaza have been disproportionately impacted by the war. They say, on average, two mothers have been killed every hour in Gaza since October 7th, after Hamas's attack on Israel sparked the war. Aya Batrawi,
5: NPR News, with producer Anas Baba in Gaza.
1: On Wall Street, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is now up 162 points. The Nasdaq is up about 40 points. This is NPR. A Texas judge has set a trial date next month for a black high school student over his hair. Daryl George has dreadlocks that are worn neatly tied on top of his head. His school says his hair is wrong and that his dreadlocks are too long. The school has been punishing him with suspension and put him in a disciplinary program because he will not cut his dreadlocks. His mother, Darisha, spoke outside the courtroom. Why should
4: we have to cut his hair? That's right. It's not, it's, Why? Like, really, why? His hair is not affecting his education.
1: She says the school is breaking a new Texas law that bars racial discrimination over hair. The U.S. Navy sailed a destroyer through the Taiwan Strait this week, the first such transit this year. These transits are now part of regular patrols that the United States and other allies have organized. And NPR's Emily Fang reports it's pushback against Chinese military intimidation in the Pacific Ocean.
6: The U.S. Navy's 7th
5: Fleet said its destroyer, the USS John Finn, cruised through international waters in the Taiwan Strait, a strip of water separating Taiwan from China, which claims Taiwan as its own territory. The journey happened just weeks after Taiwan concluded a smooth presidential election, an election China opposed because it believes it should have political control over the self-ruled island. China sent its own naval detail to monitor the U.S. destroyer on its transit and criticized it as a provocative act. Emily Fang, NPR News, Taipei,
1: Taiwan. Again, on Wall Street, the Dow's up 163 points. I'm Corva Coleman, NPR News.
0: Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Fidelity Investments. A dedicated wealth advisor can help create a wealth plan for a full financial picture. More at fidelity.com wealth. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. This is NPR. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Since its founding in 1990, Wayne County Habitat for Humanity has been bringing together volunteers and deserving families in need to build them a decent home. Volunteers can help in every aspect of the process, and the organization aims to build one new home per year, with more than 20 homes completed so far. Here to tell us more about their work and the mission is in the community is Habitat President Mike Rollinson. Good morning, Mike.
3: Well, good morning and thanks for having me here today.
0: Thanks for being here. Uh, you know, I've participated, uh, in some habitat for humanity builds, uh, throughout my life. And I've got to say, it's really gratifying uh, to just have that, you know, one afternoon or day of, of helping out and just knowing that you're, you know, helping somebody in the community, a family in the community get into a nice home.
3: Yeah. You're right about that. And there's, there's so much about humanity that's either misunderstood or, or, uh, uh the people don't know exactly how things work. You know, it's 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 an exciting year for Habitat uh this year here in Wayne County. Uh we just finished up our twenty third home. Uh we're we're now in the process. Our family selection committee's in the process for doing candidates to to put into that home and hopefully we'll make a selection for the candidates that will go into that home in the next month or two. Um we've got uh multiple candidates and of course we'd still be looking for more until we make that selection. So uh, in addition, we've got a, a new project. We're working on a new project right in downtown Honesdale. We purchased a lot a few years ago uh, during COVID on 13th Street in Honesdale. Uh, we're hoping that we can get one, possibly even two homes in that location, depending on, on how the uh, the town uh, fathers find uh, room enough to make uh, the home or two homes in there. And, and uh, we're making every effort this year to expand our volunteer base, uh, in all categories, you know, building categories, uh, volunteer categories, new, we still looking for some new board members. It's, it's an exciting year. We're, we're just so happy that you have us on the air this morning.
0: Well, we're, we're happy to have you. And let's talk a little bit about, uh, that process of finding families and to occupy these homes. How does that happen? How do you, how do you find the families and select them to, to get them into these homes?
3: Uh, many times it's, It's through uh, some of the partners that we might have through Wayne County or some of the school districts themselves. We find them very centric. The the home that we just finished is uh, in the Western Wayne School District. It's a beautiful little ranch home uh, that's been completely redone. Uh, near Lake Ladore. So it's a, it's a beautiful little ranch home and it's ready for a family. I think we need to get appliances in there and a few odds and ends, but other than that, the home's ready to go. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll process through the school districts themselves asking them if they might have someone in their district that might uh, be considered to, for something like that. Uh, Wayne County, the the Human Resources departments over there, Human Services departments over there, help us find some families, and and through our website as well, we'll get people through our website and and through things like this, and people will say, "Geez, I didn't realize there was an opportunity. Uh, I, I'd like to apply for this home, and if it's not this one, maybe it'll be the next one. The next one will be in the uh, Wayne Highland School District, so that might give us a, a different set of, of individuals looking for a, looking for a nice and well maintained home."
0: and and let's talk about the excuse me the home building process you mentioned some of the lots that you have uh ready to go but you have to go through the normal you know permitting with the towns and stuff that's what kind of where it starts and then then how does it develop in terms before you get folks in
3: we've been very fortunate over the years of course we've had some great people in our building committee Clyde Kreider uh has basically been a, a strength for habitat for many many years And we'll involve Ploughy and his team, okay, he manages the building team, uh, to uh, work with an engineer, okay, to get us a design that will work. Uh, Habitat's very specific. They're not building luxury homes. They're building homes, modest homes, that uh, people can enjoy and live in. Um, Our lot in Honesdale was interesting. Uh, it, It would seem as though uh, we may be able to get like a duplex unit or something like that or a co-op type of unit in there. Maybe we can, uh, serve as two homes, but, but again, that'll be up to the permitting process. Uh, we'll we'll get the course floor plans of course and then we'll start from there. Uh Clyde and his team will will uh some things of course the contractor the the are builders do themselves and other things of course like the excavation works and the concrete works. We have to uh actually hire people to come in, they'll they'll do the excavations and things like that. The home builds themselves, however, uh the framing, the you know the finish works and all those kinds of things that are involved. Uh, our team uh, of completely volunteers will do all that sort of work, and and uh, they'll build through the local uh, lumber companies and things and byproduct, and and they have work days usually two to three days a week. And it it I've been to the work sites; they're a lot of fun, and it's a, a lot of camaraderie. It's it's a, it's a very pleasant experience uh, to be at the build site
0: and and for families um you know the the principles of of habitat are, for humanity are that there are uh you know decent uh, sized modestly sized homes for folks that are are good for their needs and and uh, living but also makes construction and maintenance affordable and then you talk about affordability uh you know you lo- use of uh, volunteer labor but then there's also nonprofit loans that make it affordable for families to purchase these houses
3: Correct. Uh, uh, here locally, and habitats work this differently throughout the country. Here locally, uh, our local habitat actually uh, provides the the mortgage themselves. We provide a zero percent interest rate loan for twenty, twenty-five, or thirty years, depending, of course, on the family's ability to repay. Um, they, of course, have to. It's it's not a a handout as some people might think. It's a hand up. Uh, these people are actually buying the home, okay, from Habitat. Habitat holds the mortgage, of course, on the, on the properties itself, uh, for the cost that we have into building it, which of course is, is usually considerably less than what you might, might uh, buy a home for because of course of the volunteer labor and things that are according with it. And, uh, we'll actually then service the loans or take the payments on the loans each month. And they're actually serviced through a local bank, uh, the Honesdale National Bank. And Honesdale has been our partner for many years, helping us to, to service these loans, take the payments and distribute funds to us. Um, uh, and, of course, we then can apply those proceeds back to new builds in the future. And, and so the cycle continues.
0: Yeah. And, and as president, you, you get to see uh, all aspects of it. What are some of your favorite moments with uh, Habitat homeowners who are getting that, that uh, hand up?
3: It's the the whole process is amazing. It's uh, it, it's a lot different. Uh, we're all involved probably in lots of different organizations. This organization is different. The volunteers that help uh, build uh, it's 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 a happy experience for them. The the homeowners, the, the day that the homeowners we usually have some sort of big ceremony, the day that we turn the keys over to the homeowners and and uh to, to hear the comments and to, to see the kids playing in the yard and, and those kinds of things, it's it's amazing. Uh, but even our our events that we have, okay, where we uh, are are trying to raise funds. Of course, we have a big purse bingo every year. We have a uh, a big hearts and hammer ball every every spring. That's coming up, as a matter of fact, yeah. In that's February. February
0: ninth in and, in Honesdale.
3: Yeah, and February ninth, and, and and those things. The the people are there, and they're very generous. We usually have an auction and a live auction, which is a lot of fun at that that event. And uh, you know. Um things bring much more than their face value simply because people want to participate and maybe simply don't have the time to participate in the build, but they've got funds that they can put towards us to help us us build someone a nice home here in Wayne County.
0: You know, it's also nice. I mentioned that I had volunteered before in the past and I, no one's going to mistake me for uh, a contractor or home builder. Uh, so, but knowing that you can go in and, and, and contribute in some way to this, uh, this hand up, as you said, is, is really, uh, it's gratifying. How can folks get more involved with, with the habitat in Wayne County?
3: Well, there's a couple of different ways. We've got, uh, of course, we've got, of course, our uh, phone number, uh, which I can give you. It's five seven zero four seven zero zero nine three zero. We do have an email address, uh, which is. It might be easier than to say it if they go right to our Facebook page. Our Facebook page has all of our contact information, which is Wayne County, PA Habitat for Humanity, um, and of course, we've got a, a, a bailing address of. Habitat Humanity, uh, P.O. Box 407 here in Honesdale, Pennsylvania, 18431. Um, you know, it, or they can contact me. You know, my, my number is available as well. It's 570-878-8696. Uh, uh, you know, whether it's a, a volunteering, whether it's considering for a board position, whether they want to get on a committee, whether they, they just want to show up and help. Uh, and, and you mentioned one thing that's very interesting because, um, the builder's crew, for example, uh, that's that's kind of the fun part of things. Uh, it's it's an experience where you actually learn yourself things that can help you in your own home. Uh, I've had many, many people who, who volunteered knowing nothing about building, but uh, we've got some volunteers that are now experts in tile work. We've got some volunteers that are actually in trim work. Uh, uh, so so it can be a learning experience as well for those people that are volunteering.
0: Yeah, when I did it, it was through my uh, company that I worked for at the time, and it was a community outreach uh, thing that we did. But also, it was like sort of a team building thing. You learn a little bit more and get a little closer to your coworkers there too. So, if businesses were interested in participating, can they can they contact you?
3: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we we've got uh, David Ford and Clyde Kreider help coordinate those things, but they certainly can get a hold of me or the or through our our telephone number or website, and we'd be happy to do that. But yeah, we've had many instances schools for example will send will send uh, sports teams or maybe a club up to help us for a day or a weekend or something like that uh, uh many businesses of course will have a day or two days they'll they'll send people over and as part of a community outreach program and it, it's it's wonderful and and again it's it's it, there's a lot of work being done at those events but there's also the camaraderie it's kind of a a picnic like uh uh, festivities where there's there's food and and uh, uh beverages and things like that and the grills going and it, it's just a lot of fun yeah. just a lot of fun.
0: And um I noticed also when I went to the Facebook page uh, Habitat for Humanity of Wayne County PA is the Facebook page uh, that you do you accept like donations as well in terms of not just financial donations but like uh you know furniture donations household donations or or building materials? Well,
3: building materials, yes, uh, we can always uh, look at building materials. Currently, we don't have a large enough space for furniture and those types of fixtures, so we've kind of shut those down for now until we maybe find a larger area to store some of those things in. But, but building materials of quality that can help us—I uh, know most recently we had someone provide us; they were changing their kitchen cabinets. The kitchen cabinets were in great shape, and and we picked those up. Of course, we'll use those in another home down the road, and. And doors and things like that windows we had a bunch of windows here a year or so ago so yeah building materials for sure uh although we we used to take the furniture items right now we simply don't have the place to store them mm-hmm.
0: all right um and uh special shout out to uh ellen pritchard who was the golden hammer award winner at the annual habitat for humanity of wayne county volunteer recognition dinner in november
3: she's uh, <laughs> she's a, a wonderful human being uh she she um in her team of course she has a team of people that help her uh they work on a lot of different projects but her her premier project of course is the first bingo which which until i went to one i didn't realize the uh, the amount of people that uh, that love love these sorts of things and the crowd that it can draw. it's, a, it's an amazing event and she does a fabulous job and the,
0: they're, they're competitive too
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. All right. I, uh, I, I won a purse at one point in time, but I won't tell you that story. Okay. But anyway, go ahead.
0: <laughs> we'll talk later. All right. Well, you can learn exactly. more about Wayne County Habitat for Humanity, their, their Facebook page, Habitat for Humanity of Wayne County, PA. Learn uh, you know how to volunteer. Also, there's information about that Hearts and Hammers dinner coming up February 9th at 6th and River in Honesdale. We've been speaking with the president of Wayne County Habitat for Humanity, Mike Rollinson, Mike, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Yep, Thank you for having me. All right. We'll take a break. And when we come back, we'll learn more about the organization Waste for Life, which is developing poverty-reducing solutions for specific environmental problems using scientific knowledge. We'll take a break. This is Radio Chatskill.
4: Hey, it's Cassie from
7: Rare Pair Radio. Playing you the fruit of all things sweet. Fridays, 8
4: p.m. to 9 p.m. Mostly female artists from rock, funk, punk, pop, and more. All rare, only on WJFF Radio Catskill. And
1: the radio station here, just turn it on. And you'll be-
2: Hey everybody, this is Jeff Loeffler of The Deep End and you can join me each and every Friday night from 10 to midnight as I explore the deep end of the catalogs of bands maybe you know, maybe you don't know. You'll hear some Rolling Stones, Grateful Dead, Government Mule right alongside bands like The Electric, Peanut Butter, Conspiracy, Kula Shaker, and Supergrass. That's The Deep End each and every Friday night from 10 to midnight right here on Radio Catskill.
0: Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Waste for Life aims to reduce the damaging environmental impact of non-recycled plastic waste products. Waste for Life is composed of a loosely joined network of scientists, engineers, educators, designers, and cooperatives all working together to develop these poverty-reducing solutions. Valerie Manzi spoke to Waste for Life co-founders Eric Feinblatt and Carolyn Bailey.
7: Good morning, Caroline and Eric, and welcome to Radio Chatskill. And I am so pleased to have you here today to talk about this project you've been involved with over a number of years, Waste for Life. So let's begin at the beginning. What is the origin of Waste for Life project?
4: So my background is as a materials engineer. And so I look at the science and engineering of, of materials like plastic and glass and metal and so on. But I also um is seriously interested in, in social and environmental justice and I could see the harm that we were doing in the world. And so I was a professor, I was teaching my students about these issues, but I wanted to practice what I preached. So I started to search around for ideas and I was visiting Cairo and as a part of Cairo called Mocatom, where a huge number of people are collecting and sourcing the recyclables and then either selling them or processing them to sell. So years later, I decided to to extend my sabbatical and go to Argentina. And and we we lived there for six months and started to explore what happened there with uh, what's called the Caponeros, who are the people that... Pick up garbage from the streets and again try sell it for an income. And we found there many people that really was amazing at listing and separating, but sometimes they just didn't know enough about the materials and we could guide them. But what we decided in the end was that we could actually use my technical background of composite materials. So think reinforced plastic, think fiberglass, Um, the technology of making a composite, which is basically the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, you put two materials together and you make something stronger and tougher. So if we put two waste materials together, we essentially upcycle them and make them better. And then you can turn them into products. And so we started to explore with these communities whether they could actually learn how to bring two materials together, process them, and create products. So the the idea was there. I, I think I'll, I'll pause there.
6: Right. So just a little background why we chose Argentina. The outcome of the economic crisis in the country is the, the, basically the economy collapsed. Yes. And over half of the company the, – country was thrown out of work. So there was this huge subsection of people who were collecting trash as a way of, of making a living. And they were organized in, for the most part, in cooperatives. We wanted to support cooperativism. And we talked about what we were doing in terms of poverty reducing solutions to environmental problems. So the idea was to work with the cooperatives to identify some cooperatives that we thought we could work with, introduce the low-tech technology needed to make the compote, uh, to bring in designers and marketing people, and then establish what we call cottage industries, where the cooperatives make products, sell them, generate income for themselves. And that's basically what waste, is, waste life is. We're always working with waste plastic and always research.
4: We always work with that material, which locally is not usually recycled. Because if it's usually recycled, there's a good market for it, and the community needs to get money directly by selling it. So we work with that, which would normally go to sand stuff, um, such as a a spills, things. Um, and then, as as Eric said, we that with whatever else happens to be locally available. If it's in a rural area, it could be an agricultural waste such as the stems of flax plants. And um, if-
7: I, I find so many times. Ideas that sound so good for the environment, Um, when one looks at cradle-to-grave aspect of it, it doesn't always jive. So what are the environmental impacts of upcycling?
4: It's a really good question. Thank you for that. In fact, I run a Master of Science for Sustainability and Health, and all of my students constantly thinking about this in their waste class um, and using us as a case study. And yes, indeed, um, there is a problem because if you're starting to encase something that is natural, I mentioned agricultural yes in um, plastic, then basically you're rendering them unable to be decomposed biologically uh, as they normally might be. So if that is ever likely, you don't want to use those materials. But they're very bad if they go into landfill because they'll create methane and, and, you know, anything kind of natural straight into landfill is not good. We need to separate those organic composting. That's not happening. um, They're potential for... But basically, um, these materials are composites, and composites are the nastiest thing to get rid of in the end. So what we say is that um, any product that we make needs to come back to the community to be recycled um, by our processes, which can divide them. Commercially, they don't. That's another story. Um, but they can be. And so we we have a policy of you know, products, when they've reached their end of life, to come back to um, the community to be able to be used again and, and processed again.
6: Basically, they're just to clarify that, basically, you can just shred. Since there are no additives, since the process is just based on heat and pressure, Mm -hmm. um, and there's nothing other than the plastic and the fiber in the material, it can be shredded, then reused again. So so, to that sense, it's a closed loop. There's another element to what we do. It's an economic element. Is this idea of developing the possibility of economic autonomy for the people
1: who are working with it.
6: And you have to balance, when you talk about a life cycle, you have to balance all of that together. Yes. Um, These are people who live often at the intersection of waste and poverty, and there's really no way out. And this provides kind of another trajectory for them. They can start their own businesses, their profiling relationship to the community is different. They're no longer scavengers, they're now manufacturers, creating things that are used in hotels or things that uh, tourist industries buy and distribute to their um, customers. So it changes the whole profile of the people who we're working with. So all of that has to be considered, I think, when we we talk about how we evaluate the relative success or failure of what
7: we're doing. Can you cite a specific uh, success?
6: Oh, sure. I mean, we worked for four years in Sri Lanka. We, were, we, we got a grant from the Australian government. Of their, uh, we worked with three universities there to develop research and development labs, and we worked with uh, four different cooperatives and helped them set up these businesses. And they are, I think that grant ended in six years ago, five years ago now and they are continuing to operate, they're continuing to sell. Um, we were supported by a large grant, so we had a lot of people that we were able to hire um, to run the project. So, I can just
4: add to the Sri Lanka story, which was quite interesting, because um, the person that ran that project for us and was a former PhD student of mine, Um, and she is a professor now in Sri Lanka, and she continues to work down there. But what she's um, kind of best known for in the country is shifting the discourse, shifting how we think about waste. From waste to the crisis, they had a landfill collapse just after she started working there, and um, communities that she'd interviewed for her studies were killed. And that kind of crisis, was they didn't know what to do with the amount of waste. They were in absolute spare. And this shifted to what we call waste and resource. And, you know, it's noticeable that she gets called frequently by different government bodies and different funding organizations to help understand how Sri Lanka, at least um, the area that she's living in, really did try to make that shift and is still continuing to do so. It starts to become more common sense language fourth place is a resource we should use it and not just stop so that for us is much more of a success than you know one or two community groups getting some money um, because, of course, it spreads and spreads and spreads, and more groups want to do the same thing.
7: Yes. Well, your work is really impressive to hear about. Before we end, give us a website so folks can get a more in-depth understanding of your organization.
4: I was just going to say, if you wanted examples of some of the products, they're more on the Instagram.
7: Thank you so much for taking the time to tell us about this important project.
0: And thanks to Valerie Manzi for that. A note, uh, an apology for some of the audio quality on the the guest interviews there. Uh, the website is wasteforlife.org. You can learn more about their mission and also about the work they did to help revitalize the four acre wooded property in Monticello that had become a hazardous dumping ground. We'll take a break. And when we come back, our women in business series continues. We're speaking today to Dan- Daniel Lascola, owner of the Calicoon Pantry which is a low-waste grocer, and at one point was called the inconvenience Store by some unhappy customers. We'll learn how Dania used that criticism to evolve the concept of her business and connect the community to accessible food. This is Radio Catskill.
4: Radio Catskill supporters include SUNY Sullivan, a community college in the Sullivan Catskills focused on preparing students for the future. More information at sunysullivan.edu. Livingston Manor, dining, shopping, and the arts at the Gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com. And listeners like you, who donate at wjffradio.org.
2: Hey, it's
1: Steven Skeet. And I'm Aisha Rasto.
2: One of the things you can count on from NPR and this station, we've got your back. When it comes to reporting the news, bringing you facts you can count on. You can help by donating a vehicle you no longer need.
7: That car could be worth hundreds of dollars in
4: support or more as a donation. Think about it. We accept any vehicle, running or not, including cars, trucks, boats, RVs, motorcycles, and more. Donate at wjffradio.org.
0: This is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Our Women in Business series continues this morning, highlighting local women entrepreneurs speaking about their lives and experiences in forging a successful path in their chosen career. Today, we speak to Dania Lascola, owner of the Calicoon Pantry. It's a low-waste grocer stocked with sustainable essentials. It turns out Dania's passion for sustainability started at a very young age.
8: There's there's debate amongst my mom and dad, but I became a vegetarian, a self-proclaimed vegetarian at the age of three or four years old, oh. um, and, not, you know, much to my family's chagrin, because no one else felt that way, um, <laughs> based on a kind of rudimentary understanding of, you know, animal welfare and sustainability, although, you know, at that time, I don't even think sustainability was a term or, or you know, much less well-known that it is now. Um, And just as a kid, I, you know, always liked to be outside, grew up in the gorgeous, you know, landscapes of Arizona. And I think that was really kind of my start to, you know, an eco-friendly, you know, more aware, sustainable life.
0: From taking that stand at three or four, you then went on to study this in college, right?
8: Yeah, absolutely. I got a degree in sustainability from Arizona State, um, you know, based on that lifelong kind of understanding um, after hearing the word sustainability for the first time and I think um, my sophomore year of high school um, and then kind of found my way throughout bits and pieces of the food system before opening the pantry to what it is today.
0: Let's talk about some of those bits and pieces. How did you go from Arizona to Calicoon and opening up the Calicoon Pantry?
8: Yeah, I well, after that, getting that degree, I moved out to New York, having never been to New York before, for what was supposed to be a two- or three-month kind of farm internship program because I knew I was interested in food system sustainability and really kind of wanted to start at the, you know, no pun intended, ground level, you know, where food begins. Um, and, I just kept extending the internship, extending a little bit more, worked on various farms throughout the region, and, you know, spoiler alert, I've been here for like eight years and opened the store about five years ago after, you know, working in the food system for years and realizing that this is really a place that I wanted to be in.
0: When you opened this store, it was sort of a reaction to avoid in the market, right?
8: Yeah, I mean, I, I had heard that there had been various health food stores throughout Calicoon over the years and everyone, you know, had very generously warned me that none of them made it. So, I w- you know, they weren't sure if I would too. Um, but I really, you know, felt the need, the pull to provide kind of these local farm fresh, um, as sustainable as possible ingredients to, you know, this community because Everyone was kind of frustrated with the lack of options, um, regarding those items. Um, and there, you know, we are so lucky to be in the region where we have so many amazing farmers and producers and makers. And I'm happy that like, you know, the pantry is now a place where kind of their products can be, um,
0: shown off. And though this started out as filling that need for a sort of health food store in the area, it's not exactly the health food store in the traditional sense. It it combines that with a zero waste initiative, uh, also sustainability, as we've mentioned, and kind of a gathering place, too. How did you describe it?
8: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of specialty food store, kind of health food store, although maybe not in the traditional sense. Um, but I think we subscribe more to, you know, this word that's kind of growing to describe stores like mine, which is a refillery, um, which basically is just a place where you can refill your items. So, you know, the basis of our store, though it's evolved so much over the years, is the idea that you can come in and get Good quality, bulk products and actually, you know, bring in your containers to fill those up or, you know, if those are too cumbersome, you can, you know, fill up in a paper bag and bring that home. So kind of a mix of all of these things, but in a, you know, a very general sense where, you know, a low waste grocery um, with an emphasis in sustainability.
0: And the, the low-waste concept, I think it's in some ways it can be intimidating to folks because they think, oh, well, I have to do this. What if I forgot my bag or my container? But you try to make it accessible to everyone.
8: Absolutely. And that's one of the things that, you know, I'm very open. That's one of the things that when we first opened and I was, you know, this new kind of graduate of sustainability, I was so strict about. And I was like, okay, in order to make this, you know, quote-unquote, quote, unquote, quote truly sustainable, we have to not have any waste. We have to be entirely plastic-free. Um, people, you know, the only way to get these products is to have people fill up their containers and, you know, that way we can really truly eliminate our waste. But um, I'm fortunate that I've been able to adapt and kind of learn over time that that's you know, one, yeah, like you said, not accessible for the larger community and just really puts people off to the idea of low-waste living. Um, because if we're being honest, like a 100% low-waste, waste-free lifestyle isn't actually that attainable. And so it's more about kind of what we can do to make these changes, however small they might be. Like you might just start refilling your rolled oats because you know if you have like a nice jar for that. And you, you know, that's something you eat frequently. So maybe that's like an intro thing. And we're all just doing exactly, you know, what we can do at any different level. So while in the beginning, it kind of started in a more strict way um, where you could only, you know, bring or buy a container. I'm very grateful that we've adapted to, you know, we have paper bags. So if you brought your jars and you just want, you know, a quarter pound of really good dark chocolate almonds, you can absolutely get that too and not have had you know, to prepare in a way that, you know, you've got your jar, you know, your bag with all your jars and, you know, are coming with the intent to fill up. So I'm really hoping that, you know, the space now is a lot more accessible um, and, you know, where people understand that there's no pressure and we're all just doing the best that we can.
0: So you've evolved from that strict sustainability lady <laughs> to... <laughs> well, you were talking yes, about... Uh... we
8: were called the Inconvenience Store. <laughs> oh, Really? yes but you know what it was a good call out you know it it was absolutely correct
0: (laughs) so how else do you think this store has evolved since you opened in uh what was it 2019
8: yep in 2019 in july um so number one like i kind of just said in our mission well though the mission has stayed the same we've been a lot more creative and um, adaptive about it so from the strict jar filling to now you know there are, you can find products that are in plastic there now because, you know, we, like I said, we're all doing the best we can and sustainability looks like a wide variety of things. Um Number two in our products, if you are someone that has shopped with the pantry since 2019, I am so grateful and you've probably seen it evolve tremendously. I think when we first opened, we had... You know, it was kind of a sparse tables and shelves situation with only kind of jars of pantry staples, and that was great. It was a great start, um, but pretty much week by week, we add more products to our selection. So our inventory, while I think we started at maybe 30 items of pantry staples, is now over 1,500 different variations of items, um, and I think our third kind of growth, in the shop is in the physical space. I mean, the marketplace that we're in generously allows for growth, and I've expanded my footprint in the space more times than I can count, Um, invested in two new fridges in the space, so now we actually have, you know, a fridge department and more plans, hopefully, to come in the future for even more growth.
0: I know that uh, you opened in I think fall of 2019, and then shortly thereafter was COVID in the spring of 2020. How did that impact and change your business? I remember I live in Calicoon, so full disclosure, I, I had shopped at the store, but you were very much a service-oriented business, trying to you know make sure people were getting what they needed in this trying time. How was that for you?
8: Yeah, I mean, it was super scary. We were we were a brand new Maybe six to eight months old business with you know obviously no foresight into what would kind of happen and i I think the pandemic really spurred a, a lot of the kind of creative changes that have happened in the shop for the better. Not that I ever you know wish that had happened, but I'm grateful for our adaptability in that manner. So you know before, like I said, people were just coming in filling their jars, and then all of a sudden, you know, we weren't supposed to touch things anymore and we were like, okay, we have to really sit down and strategically think about what that means for our operations. Um we, you know, had the two weeks downtime of no working, plus then of course like many months more, um, to build out a website where we put all of our inventory online and people were able to order online and do contact us pickup. You know, we just put the jars or the bags outside of the shop and that kind of started the you know paper bag kind of fill-up program and has enabled us to continue our website online where you know people even today can continue to order online for pickup maybe not so much because they're worried about being inside during a pandemic although that's definitely you know still a worry in many times but also because there's just a convenience factor of being able to place your grocery order online and picking it up you know and not have to wait in any line so um, yeah, we have definitely evolved in many ways, and are grateful for that.
0: I also noticed that you, in the winter now, especially in these last few weeks of uh, unpredictable winter weather, have been very sort of super serving the. We're open on a snow day, you know that community connection <laughs> on social media and stuff, which I think is probably uh, an outgrowth of of all of that. Uh, you're you're a proud queer female entrepreneur. What is that like in the Catskills?
8: Yes, what a loaded question. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think <laughs> um, I think I mean, honestly, whenever you hold uh, a mar- I, I guess marginalized, although I don't like to use that term, undervalued maybe identity and are outspoken and proud about it, there are always going to be people who have an issue with that because maybe it, you know, scares them in some sense or maybe they believe that Um, you know, it's not an identity to be proud of. Um, But I think, honestly, um, I'd like to, like, not focus as much on the folks who like to say things because, of course, that happens and probably would happen in any region. Um, But to really focus on the connection that that brings from, number one, you know, individuals who maybe identify along similar um, spectrums and are, you know, feeling seen and validated and, you know... Like to see the representation in the community and then also what that opens us up for in terms of working with other vendors who might, you know, identify the same way. And I love the, you know, ability for the space to be. Um, somewhere we can lift them up as well. So, you know, in the Catskills, we have so many queer makers out here, female makers, um, growers, and I just I love having a space where we can really uplift all of these voices and, you know, really monetarily support them and have a space for their products to be
0: as well. Is that one of the things about the store that makes you happiest?
8: Um, 1,000% the community is what makes me happiest. I could not be more proud. To have a business in Calicoon, to be a part of this like really cool town with community members who are the most loving, supportive, generous people I have ever met. Um, you know, I say it all the time, but this is the best job I've ever had despite, you know, working more than any job I've ever had. And, you know, it's just the first place in my life where I've never been anxious to, to go to work or, you know, worried about what a, you know, a boss might feel about. You know, my quality of work that day and, you know, it's just an incredible feeling to know that, you know, when going to work is really just opening up your cute shop on Lower Main Street in a really cool town on the river and serving good food to your friends when, you know, like they're going to enjoy that for dinner that night. So um, I would say 1000% the community here is what makes me happy, happiest. Big shout out to the Upper Delaware, Sullivan County, Calicoon communities.
0: So looking back on that little girl who was defiant, uh, vegetarian, <laughs> sustainability, a per- <laughs> champion, th- did you ever see you with your your community store on the banks of the Delaware River in upstate New York?
8: I, I absolutely would have never foreseen it. I mean, my dad did always say that perhaps that defiant, you know, self, um, like really determined personality would lead me in the entrepreneurial direction. But to be in this amazing place with these amazing people, oh, I could have I could have never seen it happen. And I'm still kind of in disbelief every single day that this is what I get to do for a living.
0: Daniel Escola from the Calicoon Pantry. You can find more information about her store, her business, and community hub at thecalicoonpantry.com. Thank you so much for speaking with us today.
8: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tim.
0: And you're listening to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. The Party Farm, a boutique recording studio here in the Catskills, is now accepting submissions for its second annual songwriting contest. The winner will be awarded a free recording session at the Party Farm to create a professional recording of their winning song, produced, mixed, and mastered by Terry Brennan the party farms master engineer and producer and terry joins us this morning with more along with his wife wendy LeBanc, who has the coolest title i think i've ever heard chief party officer <laughs> good morning good
2: morning. <laughs> good morning how you doing
5: <laughs> thanks for having us
0: i want to talk about the chief party officer thing too but i want to learn tell folks about how party farm started how did this all come
2: about well uh we we moved up here in the midst of the the pandemic uh you know uh just uh luckily found the perfect spot to build our dream recording studio and um and so we're on our second year of this contest and uh you know it's been really great um being here in the Catskills and being part of the community
0: and it's it's part you know party farm is a recording studio but it's also sort of uh an experience too. Do you want to talk about that, Wendy? Definitely.
5: Uh you <laughs> as know, Chief Party Officer. Chief Party Officer, this <laughs> does fall within my purview. We uh you know, one of the things that we really wanted to focus on and part of our mission statement is to really foster a community and to contribute to the already, you know, beautiful, bountiful artistic community in the Catskills. So we wanted to make sure Sort of based on my experience following Terry around during his musical career, uh, that the people who are there are having a really nice experience while you're recording yeah. because, you know, people have an entourage. I'm, I was used to being the, the girlfriend and the fiance and the wife who's sort of tagging <laughs> along with the rock star. And I never had a place to sit. I never had a place to plug in my laptop. I didn't have snacks. I was always so bored. And I said <laughs> when we have people come to our studio, it's going to be just a, a full, beautiful experience for everyone who's yeah. there. looking
0: out for the yokos of the world.
5: Yeah.
2: I, I do the tracks, she does the snacks.
0: That's what we say. <laughs> but also you you your your uh, facility there's like a bowling alley there yep
2: uh that what's left of liberty lanes is uh, in our in our uh barn underneath lanes the lanes
5: 11 and 12 studio yes. yeah
2: <laughs> you can still bowl if you Absolutely. need to oh, yeah, they yeah. blow off some steam all right yeah
5: we've got the pool table and we've got a bar and we've Makes got a cool the, reverb chamber it does, too yeah <laughs>
0: So, this is the second annual songwriting contest. Uh, last year, we happened to know the winner of that songwriting contest, Callison Stratton, who hosts <laughs> Liberation right. Station Callison. here on Radio Catskill on Saturdays at 7. Um, so talk a little bit about what you're looking for, uh, in the, the songwriting contest.
2: Um, well, uh, it's, uh, we're just looking for people to send us their MP3 demos. Uh, uh we're looking for original music. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know um i think a a song that that we can help elevate is what we're is what we're looking for the most so it's it's not necessarily like technically the best or are the most modern sounding what we're trying to find is something that we feel we can help that person elevate to that place where you're like wow that's a really nice sounding track you know um callison was perfect for that um she wrote a really great song and i i love what we did with it and um Hopefully, we'll find someone else this year that can bring the same kind of, I don't know, talent, energy. I don't know what you want to call it. Yeah. <laughs> Zazz.
5: We're also looking... Riz, I think, is Riz. what they say no, now. No, that's a different... Oh, I different. Think, text- I think oh, you're using shoot. that one I'm wrong. I'm still, still working on that. Uh, but Should, we are... Can I use the
0: term baby girl yet? <laughs> <laughs> In this conversation?
2: Go ahead. Uh,
5: we we are... uh Really also focused on elevating local artists. Yep. Um, uh, You know, we definitely consider people who are submitting. Last year we got submissions from all over the world. And we were really surprised by that and excited wow. by that. But, you know, one of the things that we want to do is um really elevate local artists. So we really encourage.
2: Foster community.
5: Exactly. Well, we, we encourage yeah. people who can drive to the studio because we don't pay for flights for the winners
1: (laughs) yeah
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) so is that why you decided to do a songwriting contest just to like foster that sense of more of community yeah
2: it's um sort of a good way to um not only find people to work with but also um just sort of create uh you know kind of a kind of a scene kind of a place for for people to i don't know uh, feel seen, feel heard. Uh, and eventually we're going to build a stage and we've got plans, the 10-year plan for our space. Is- <laughs> the
5: 10-year plan is beautiful. Yeah. We also have been uh you know th- through a lot of different experiences in the music industry and wanted to make sure that there was no barrier for entry. We don't charge a fee to enter. You know, you can enter for free. We just want to hear your beautiful original music. Uh, and there's no purchase necessary if you're a client of the Party Farm. You don't have a better shot of winning. We just, you know, really want to give people a chance.
0: Yeah, and so you were looking for folks 18 uh, or over. What about like uh, song length or any of the kind of specifics?
2: Um, you know, we're not uh, setting out any kind of specific guidelines with mm-hmm. uh, regards to like the length or or the topic or anything like that. It's sort of like whatever whatever kind of art you're making. Uh, you know, show it to us.
5: I will say there's a limit in the rules. And if you go to com you can see the full contest rules. But, uh, you know, th- the winner gets to record their winning song, but it's up to 15 hours. So if you do submit a full concept album and call it one song, <laughs> we're yeah. on to you. Yeah, uh, we're not going to do <laughs> thick we'll as a brick, down. you guys. Right. So, so there are some limits, but if you go to... RoscoePartyFarm.com or see one of our colorful flyers around town, and scan our QR code. That's right, because it's twenty twenty four. Take you right there.
0: Hashtag twenty twenty four. Your so, and then also you uh, want to make sure that this is an original composition too, like to emphasize that part, right? Yeah, no definitely. covers, no
2: covers, no covers.
0: Yeah. And then on the website there is literally a section called the fine print. So make sure you look at that. <laughs> uh, and what's the deadline? And then how are you getting this out to folks?
2: Um, it's uh, leap day, right, leap February day. 29th. That's right. So uh, uh if you get us your song uh by leap day
5: 12 p.m. eastern time no a.m. midnight midnight 11:59 <laughs> eastern i think that's on the website yeah. too
2: and then we'll be going through the uh the entries uh as they come in but also uh in early march we'll be making a decision
0: and so and you guys are the judge, uh, judges here and uh what are some of the things you're
2: looking for
5: Bribes, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> we accept cash, uh,
2: cards. Great melodies, right. Uh, right, right. interesting lyrics, creative um, presentation. Yeah,
5: and really potential. I think to to as Terry said before, sort of w- how can we add something? How can we bring this to the next level? Yeah,
2: like we can track metal bands and stuff, sure, but that's it, probably not gonna. I don't know. It's not my necessarily my area of expertise. I could do a pretty good job with a metal song, but you know, uh
5: <laughs> Well, one of the great things is because we've been around the industry so long, we have connections with a lot of really wonderful musicians. So if you come in and you say, "Gee, you know, in in my here's my demo. It's me with a guitar, but in my head, you know, there's a violin mm-hmm. on this track, but I don't know any violin players." We know some violin players. We can we can help you out with that. We can connect you with the right musicians. We can do all that electronically, have them some tracks to us and we put it together.
0: That sounds cool. Okay. So you'll, uh, your submission deadline is, uh, the 29th. Submit an original song by then. The winner gets that free recording session. You'll, you'll get it out on your socials and stuff too. But you know, I'll make you a deal right now. The winner can, uh, debut their song here on Radio Catskill. How about that? That sounds uh, we love great. That.
5: We're we'll do we'll it. We'll add it to the website. We'll put it
0: on the fine print. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
5: Thank you. That's
0: awesome. Uh, so uh, anything else you want folks to know about Party Farm and, and how the party's going?
5: Uh party's rocking twenty four seven. Party's
0: always great.
5: Uh we're <laughs> we're here full time. We're uh in Cook's Falls, just outside of Roscoe. We also have, you know, three and a half Gorgeous acres. We're right on the Beaverkill River. We're surrounded by the mountains, as most people are around here. But, uh, you know, if people want to come and film a music video or do a portrait session or do some fly fishing in our backyard.
2: Or just chill in a hammock. Or
5: just chill in a hammock. All of that is possible at the Party Farm.
2: Bowl of frame. RoscoePartyFarm.com. Farm.com. <laughs>
0: Roscoe <Party> farm. <laughs> all right. We've been talking to Terry Brennan, who is the Party Farms Master Engineer and Producer, and Wendy LeBanc, who is, again... The coolest title ever, holds the coolest title ever, <laughs> Chief Party Officer.
5: CPO, don't forget it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. All right. All right. That's all for this edition of Radio Chat Skill. You can hear uh, this episode as well as previous episodes and our Women in Business series at our website, wjffradio.org. I'm Tim Bruno. Thanks for listening.
2: Support for Radio Catskill comes from the Narrowsburg Union and Catskills Curated. Presenting products of regional artists, artisans, makers, and craftsmen. Gift wrapping and shipping available on site. NarrowsburgUnion.com The Cooperage Project in Honesdale. Dedicated to building community through performance, learning, markets, and good times. TheCooperageProject.org And from listeners like you, who donate at WJFFRadio.org.
7: I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now!, independent, grassroots global news. Our reporting includes breaking daily news headlines and in-depth interviews with people on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues. People speaking for themselves, providing unique and sometimes provocative perspectives on global events. Democracy Now!, weekdays at noon, right here on Radio Catskill.
3: How best can we mark the ferocity of this winter in the Catskills and honor the good people who salt our highways, plow our roads, clear fallen trees, reconnect our utilities, and tow us out of ditches when things go wrong, and our help from neighbors for simply being there when we need them. So join
8: me, please, to give thanks and hear songs about snow on Sunday afternoon at 3.
0: This is Radio Catskill WJFF Jeffersonville, W233 AH Monticello, streaming online at wjffradio.org. Today's weather, occasional rain and drizzle this morning. Otherwise, cloudy and mild, high near 50. Tonight's low, 34. Tomorrow, fog with a little rain in the morning, mainly uh, cloudy and cooler. uh, High 41. And get this, a winter storm may be bringing some accumulating snow Sunday into Sunday night.
2: WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Radio Catskill. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting Public Radio for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania.